for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. Welcome to the update. On today's show, we continue our conversation on the legacy of Warriors guard Monte Ellis with senior columnist Marcus Thompson. If you missed Wednesday's part one, I'd start there as we now dive back into the drama of that 2008-2009 season. And then we'll get into why Stephen Curry and the current iteration of the Warriors have Monte to thank for so much of their success. It's Friday, January 3rd. All right, so we left off on Wednesday with Monte signing a six-year, $66 million extension in the summer of 2008. That same summer, he tears up his ankle in a moped accident. He lies about it, tells the Warriors he was playing hoop. Team finds out the truth, suspends him 30 games, threatens to void the six-year deal. It is soap opera-level drama going on, Marcus. But Monte eventually gets healthy, comes back, finishes out the 08-09 season. But then heading into the summer of 09, relations have been strained pretty much to the point of no return, right? No, nah, it's it's bad. He he's uh he's just bitter, you know, about how they handled it. He's clashing with like how they dealt with it and a lot of it is Robert Rao who's the team president you know Chris Mullen is basically he did the Homer Simpson backed into the bush <laughs> right he's he's not talking to anybody you can hardly find him mm. the team president every time you talk to him won't you call the GM shouldn't he be answering these questions like they're openly they're like a couple arguing in public right where everybody can see it it's just a mess and Monte is, you know, having these feelings. And on top of that, they already lost Jason Richardson. They lost Baron Davis. So the the we believe pieces that he thought was going to be the future are being pulled away. And they they were threatening his contract situation. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty bad. Don Nelson and the GM at the time, Larry Riley, who was operating as a GM once they finally fired Mullen, flew out to visit Monte in Memphis and kind of like smoothed over the waters. Wow. And they, they seemed to come to some kind of agreement, but that didn't last long. Yeah, because then who do the Warriors take with their first pick in the draft shortly after that meeting? What's that dude name from Davidson? With the seventh pick in the 2009 NBA draft, the Golden State Warriors select Stephen Curry from Davidson College. Oh, yeah, Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry. So when Monte finally gets to play point guard and, and he's got the ball in his hands and he's running the show, you know, sources say that they told Monte they weren't going to draft a point guard. And so they ended up drafting a point guard, uh, which if you're Monte, after all you've been through with the organization, now they do this. You're like, see? Mm-hmm. <laughs> see? So when he, gets to, when he gets to media day right before training camp, He's asked about playing with Steph Curry, and he says what he thinks, which is, I can't win with him. Him, Monte's stance was him and Monte together. I mean, him and Steph together, mm-hmm. they're too small. They can't defend, and you can't win like that. Keep in mind, he'd been playing with Baron, somebody who could, who was big enough and physical enough to play to guard two guards. So Monte's looking like, man, that dude's smaller than me. So that means I'm going to have to guard the shooting guard, mm-hmm. and that's that's crazy. We can't win like that. And that was that was Stephen Curry's debut to the Warriors. Is the star of the team said, yeah, I can't win with this guy next to me. How does he start to get on or not get on with, with Curry? So initially, like, you know, he was, Steph was getting the rookie hazing, you know, to basically prove yourself to me. And it was something that Steph took 
like a challenge. Like he he was bent on winning over Monte. So he was like, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to show this dude like I got what it takes and we're going to win over Monte. And he ended up doing that. Like he was practicing with Steph every day. They're going, he's playing on the court with him every day. And he's like, this dude can play. And it also helped that Aisha Curry and Monte's wife ended up being really good friends. Mm. <laughs> right. So that helps. Yep. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Happy wife. Yeah, that, right. That, that definitely helped out. So, but I think Steph earned Monte's respect. And I think that's, you know, that's from, that's from the old school that Monte was from, mm -hmm. you know, he had to earn Baron and Steven Jackson's respect. It was the same way when I was here when Baron Davis and Derek Fisher, you know what I mean? They ain't come in and butter me up, pat me on my back, nothing. It's, it's basketball. It's, it's serious. That's, that's what we do. We compete. And, you know, we just make each other better. So that's all it is. We're going we're gonna to do that, make each other better, and put all the pieces together, and we're going to go roll with it. He had to go out there and show that he was one of them. And he kind of did the same to Steph. He's like, I need you. I need to know that you're like me. you just small little light-skinned dude, you know, from Davidson. <laughs> you got to show me you about this life. Eventually he did. And they ended up, you know, they ended up decent together. They they were explosive. I know I remember one time Monte said somebody said Monte was a top ten player in the league and I remember talking to Steph about it and I was like, How oh, that's funny And Monte and Steph is like, You saying he's not? I was like, Please don't tell me you're saying he is He's <laughs> like, Man, he is like named but he was like riding for Monte. Like that's how he looked up to him. Like wow. he was a star of the team. Steph was a rookie. He was like, look, man, I'll put Monte up against anybody. The guy who kind of took me under the wing when I came in with Monte, uh, learned a lot from him. Um, you know, seeing him progress as a player and, and kind of grow and you know, a lot of fun has made a better player. So, so that that was like Steph's paradigm was looking up to Monte, like trying to show Monte that he was as good as everybody thought he was and once he showed that monte was like all right let's ride we're gonna we're gonna ride this out then well and then just like monte had to deal with the coaching change between his rookie and second season in the league so does steph but whereas monte's change was kind of the break he needed keith smart replacing nelly is the exact opposite for steph yeah you know what the cold part is man keith smart was like giving a make good contract right a one-year deal he was a holdover and everybody knew it. Like the Joe Lacob and Peter Guber had just bought the team, and there just wasn't enough time for them to take over enough to do another coaching search. But they just knew Nelly wasn't the guy, mm -hmm. right? So they got Nelly out of there. Keith Smart did a lot of the coaching anyway because Nelly was half checked out. So, you know, they said, all right, put him in there. And he's put in this situation where he's got to basically, he's basically trying to prove that he can do this. You know, wins are important when you're trying to show you can coach. Yeah. <laughs> so Steph had a turnover problem. And, you know, old school coaches, they just they just can't get with the turnovers from the point guards. They just can't do it. Keith Smart was one of those dudes. So he would lean on A.C. Law a lot. A.C. Law was, like, in his fourth year, a much more, like, true point guard in that sense, protected the ball, ran the offense. So Steph and his – uh. You know, because he was very light then. He wasn't as strong. So a little bit of pressure, you could kind of bump him off his spot. You could, you could, he could, he would lose the ball. So you can get to him that way. 
So Keith Smart was like, yeah, come sit next to me, young fella. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Smart only lasts a year. Mark Jackson takes over in the 2011-12 season, and the Warriors are in the hunt. As we fast forward to March 13, 2012, Marcus, Dubs are three games out with 28 to play. Take us through that day, March 13, 2012. So that morning at shoot-around, I had to sit down with Monte Ellis and – he was he was man he was very vocal like Monte didn't he doesn't talk that much all these years he's not a big talker he's very he's very reserved he's very quiet you see him talking to his teammates a lot so you know you know he can talk right you see him like having those conversations mm-hmm. but as far as the media is concerned he was always just kind of kept it within but that morning he kind of talked like and he kind of revealed some stuff about how he felt. And about them breaking up the team and not giving them a chance to win. What did and he I, say? His thing was just saying, like, it was just frustrating to be on a winning team and then to turn around and have it all pulled away. And, like, he just wanted to win. And mm-hmm. he just was curious about – he didn't know if they wanted to win or not. So he was just kind of venting those frustrations. And he said that later that day he met with the team and because he heard his name in trade rumors, and they said no one would be traded. So 30 minutes before the game, he was told nobody's going to be traded. They were going to make a playoff push, and he was fine with that. And then we're in a locker room pregame, <laughs> and, you know, we're doing our, our regular job. Everybody's going about their day. I think Monte even had on his uniform, and then the news broke. It's NBA trade deadline week, and we have our first deal, Mellis. It's between the Warriors and the Bucks. The Warriors acquiring... Andrew Bogut and Steven Jackson, the Bucks getting back Monte Ellis, Epe Udo, and Kwame Brown's expiring contract. Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Monte was traded to the to the Bucks. We were all right there when he found out. Uh, wow. We were in the locker room with him when he found out. He had no idea. So how did he take the news? I mean, he just looked and he gave his little classic phrase: "It is what it is." <laughs> and yeah. then he started taking off his uniform and started wow. getting dressed. This is what happens. This this the this part of the league. I mean, they gotta continue to do what they do. Um, I wish them the best, and now I just gotta, you know, go do what I can do to help the Bucks win. It was crazy. Then he disappeared to the back, and we, and we didn't see him. And then you saw him leaving the stadium, and it was like, wow. It was just like that. It was, you know, Monte for years had been like the star of the team, and then he was just gone, and that was it. And so they had no Steph because Steph was out with his ankle issues. No Monte because he got traded. Mm -hmm. Epe Udo went with Milwaukee with him. And the guy they traded for, Andrew Bogut, was out with a broken ankle. So in one night, they were down four. (laughs) They were down four starters. Wow. Just like that. Okay, so they trade Ellis March 13th. He and the Bucks come back and beat the Warriors on March 16th at Oracle. And then three days after that, March 19th, is the notorious Chris Mullen jersey retirement night. What happened that, that night? Yes. So that night, you know, first off, this is like full circle. This is one of the things that Joe Laker wanted to do because, remember, Chris Mullen's relationship with the Warriors ended badly. Him and the the owner's representative, Robert Rao, they do not get along. So Joe Lacob's thing was like, we're going to reinvite Chris Mullen into the fold. We want him part of the organization. So we're going to retire his number. So at the night of his retirement ceremony, with everybody still thinking about this Monte Ellis trade, 
Joe Lacob takes the mic and man, Oracle lets him have it. Tonight, now that we got that over with, tonight is about two things. Embracing history and respect. The Warriors ownership, the current Warriors, our, our owners, I think it's very important to embrace history. Something that hasn't been done in the past, perhaps, as well. And when you speak of Warriors history, there's no one. I've never seen anything like that in my life. It's one of those things where you type in, and it's like, oh, man, that's the Cobra they booing. And then you like... Oh, wow, they're really booing this dude. Yeah. And then you just kind of stop and take it all in. It was loud. It was crazy. And they wouldn't stop. And everybody tried. Then when, then when Rick Berry got on the mic. One second here. Come on, people. You fans are the greatest fans in the world. That's everybody said that. Show a little bit of class. This is a man that I've spent some time talking to. He is going to change this franchise. This is crazy. It was over there. It was like, okay, this is a complete, like, mess right now. This yeah. is like Jerry Springer right now, you know, because Rick Berry is not the most calming presence, right? So right. he gets on the mic and makes it all worse. And it's, it was just like, yo, this is really happening. This is Warriors basketball, baby. What did Monte think of that night? So Monte was in a hotel. that They were playing. They were about to play Portland the next night. So he's watching this happen. And he said he was laughing. And crying at the same time. Because <laughs> mm. he, you know, he was still upset about being traded. And as he as he told me, it wasn't so much that he was traded. It was that he was left out of the process. Like, they didn't tell him what was happening. He wasn't aware of anything that was going on. They just popped up and traded him and kind of rocked his whole world. Like Like we've discussed, here's a kid who came from high school at 18 years old. And all he knew was the Golden State Warriors. And then one day it was all different. So he felt like that the, the right thing to do was to include him in the process, to let him know what's going on, and at least make sure he knew that it was possible. And he felt like they did the opposite. So he said he thought Joe Lacob deserved it. He felt like he deserved that, that booing. And he felt like it was 20,000 people siding with him like riding for him mm-hmm. in that moment so it kind of brought him some pleasure that he wasn't alone in thinking it was crazy but he was also still very hurt one of those quiet strong personalities who don't really kind of readily admit that they're hurt right yeah. <laughs> it's usually yep. presents as something no, else few of but, those. Yep. yeah but he was hurt like it, it hurt him that he got discarded like that so he had his moment in the hotel where he's smiling and a couple thug tears roll down his cheek right as he <laughs> as he watched this whole thing unfold as we all know now though marcus that night was kind of the it's it's always darkest before the dawn moment for the warriors because curry gets healthy the big piece the warriors got from the monte trade andrew bogut becomes the big man the warriors needed and then three titles in five years right like you said, in the words of Tupac Shakur, through every dark night, there's a bright day after that, right? There you go. And the, the bright days don't get brighter than what they had. I mean, it was the right move. Like, there's just, Monte said it. The basketball people knew it. 
first off, they needed to make sure Steph was the epicenter of the team. And that just wasn't happening with Monte Ellis there. First it was Keith Smart. Then it was Mark Jackson. They both put the ball in Monte's hands far more than, you know, needed to be. Mm -hmm. Like the ball needed to be in Steph's hands. He was the diverse talent. He was the guy who could shoot, dribble, pass, get to the hole, set it up. And Monte was a guy who could go get you 25 points easy. Right. But they were putting him in a position as a point guard, as a playmaker, and that just wasn't best. On top of that, defensively, they just weren't going to be able to stop anybody. So they needed to do that, and it freed up Clay Thompson. It freed up Steph to get the ball in his hands, to actually like you know be able to take advantage of his uh, his diverse skill set. And like you said, whatever defensive issues they had, Bogut was there to erase them. So now for the first time in forever, right, yeah. after Victor Alexander and Alton Lister <laughs> and Chris Hunter and Mikey Moore, right? Who? Like the list, <laughs> right? exactly, the list after oh. Jason Caffey and Byron Houston. Oh, stop, Marcus, right? stop. And all these players <laughs> who, who was supposed to be the answer at center for the Warriors, yep. who was supposed to be the difference maker. They finally got their center. Eric Dampier, oh, Mark Jackson no, really, with a C. Really, Marcus, stop. You can stop now. But, <laughs> Chris Gatley. But none of it happens. <laughs> I think the point you're trying to make, none of this happens if Monte doesn't become the perfect carrot that Milwaukee wanted back in March of 2012. I think that's important to remember, and that's why I wanted to talk to Monte because he, I, I think he gets forgotten. If he's not a good player, good enough to make that trade worthy, they don't get Andrew Bogut. They just don't. He's got to be good. He's got to be desirable. And he was. He was. Monte was really good. He wasn't used right. The situations got him away from where he would have been incredible. He, he'd still be in a league if he was okay with being a sixth man like he was with Barron and them. Mm-hmm. But – they didn't keep him with Barrett in them. So he ended up not, you know, he ended up assuming too much, probably too soon. And maybe, who knows, maybe eventually he's like, yeah, I'm tired of being a six man. I need to start. But the way he was happy then, the way they kind of clicked, it was perfect for him. So I, I think Monte, A, he had to be really good. And B, it wasn't his fault that they traded everybody and made him the star. Yeah. <laughs> like that. That's that was just bad management. Yeah. So I feel like people forgot Monte's contribution. And also between We Believe and the Steph Curry era was like this moment in wilderness that Monte at least made entertaining. Monte well defended. Hit it anyway. What a night. Forty three for Monte on eighteen of twenty three shooting. Like you had one guy who you could go watch yep. who was entertaining. And if you're an old school Warrior fans, you know that that that's not nothing. You at least needed to be entertained. That was a lot back in you. the day. Right, which, that meant something. Which is why, and we've mentioned it already, Marcus, it seemed only right that in Steph's, as he called it, Operation Honor the Goats of Oracle, where he wore jerseys of former players to the team's final regular season home games at the Old Barn earlier this year. He saved Monte's number eight navy blue roadie for the final regular season home game. I think that that's that's a big statement too, coming from arguably the best player in franchise history, certainly the most accomplished. A lot of history that Monte was able to uh, you know be a part of with the We Believe era, and then you know when I got here my rookie year, 
he was that guy. Um, and I think for me, in terms of you know, representing him on the last last game, it meant a lot because we were in that backcourt together. And and obviously when he was traded, it was it was a tough time in terms of you know the the transition of you know, the organization and things like that. And uh, I wanted to pay obviously honor to him in terms of you know his story and coming out of high school and doing what he was able to do. He was a he was a, an Oakland fan, Warrior fan, you know, beloved guy. It shows you what Monte's tough love meant to him, right? It shows you like how Steph's early years groomed him into a champion, and you just can't take away Monte out of that early grooming. So I know we like to remember him getting benched by Keith Smart for AC Law. Part of that was Monte making him earn it, and you know, Steph is incredible because he didn't take that as a personal slight. He didn't make that into a beef. He took it as a challenge. It was like, all right, <laughs> like, I'm going to make you, I'm going to show you, right? Yeah. I'm going to make you respect me instead of doing what others might do and say, oh, you, you hating. I can't play with you. Right. I need to go. So that level of tough love and Monte actually giving him the respect when he earned it. And not being an old head who's like, nah, remember what I said? I got to stick to my guns, right? Like, that mattered to Steph. And Steph is real big on those early years. He felt like that was the breeding ground. Those struggles produce something. So you can't separate Monte from that. And Monte was really like that. You could tell it meant a lot to him, a guy who doesn't show sentimentality at all. It means a lot. I mean, the, the biggest thing that I always wanted to do is is – like when I leave this earth, I know that I impact somebody's life in some shape or form, no matter if it's on or off the basketball court. For him to say that meant a lot, and how Steph has earned everything he got, like you could tell, like even though he's like an AAU coach now, somewhere yeah. tucked away in <laughs> Dallas, like Steph know who he was, and that that seems like that might be enough for him, right? Like, yeah, that's my guy, Steph. That's my youngin. Mm. Uh, we all know that bad vets can produce bad. <laughs> players right yep so i i I didn't know monte was such a good vet but in hindsight he looked like he was actually a pretty good vet Mm. (laughs) if steph if steph honors him in that way finally marcus despite the i guess less than storybook ending to monte's career with the warriors he comes across to me as grateful no question i do feel like well first off i must say his wife juanica has been even back then she was tremendous for him like he changed when his wife got in the picture like there's something about how she dealt with him that just made him grow up and you can tell that's still there him being a father you can tell like it's had an effect on him in a way where he just appreciates stuff now he's the old head like Monte is the old head now talking about (laughs) Like, he's going bad on step backs and trying to teach these kids about fundamentals. Like, Monte, you didn't even use fundamentals like that. But, you know, now he's like, these kids today don't even know how to play. Like, he's that guy. I think time and adulthood and maturity has taught him that, like, he was never really supposed to make it anyway. <laughs> like, you know, he's a he's a dude who came out of Jackson, Mississippi from nothing at 18 years old yeah. and somehow forged this pretty remarkable career and as he said made a lot of money so he's like i really can't complain about that much right which 
I think makes it more likable, right? Yeah. Like, you know, how many dudes are like, oh, it didn't go right. Look mm-hmm. how they treated me. He's like, I mean, what can I really complain about? I got 12 years in the league. I made a lot of money. I got lifelong friends and my whole neighborhood looks up to me like, well, what more can you ask for? He's got a wife and he's got three kids and he's coaching AU. Yeah. Like, he does sound really grateful and appreciative. I remember there's a moment I wanted to share with you that you made me think of the moment Steph realized he was in. <laughs> what was the that moment? Monte and Juanika got married, and Steph, I remember we were in the Hall of Oracles. He's like, yo, guess what I got? And I was like, what? He's like, I got an invitation to Monte's <laughs> wedding. <laughs> yep, that's when you know. <laughs> yeah, so Monte was like, Made it. that's what he was in. He, he's, like, I, I, he's like, I told you I was going to do it. I was like, man, you did that. He got invited to Steph's wedding, I mean, to Monte's wedding, so he knew that's when he got the respect because everybody didn't get an invitation, but Steph got one. Wow. Wow. Marcus, I absolutely love this. This flashback, this look down memory lane, and also learning more uh, about Steph and why he's the great player that he is today. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you for having me. You're incredible. The Update is the best podcast ever to be (laughs) called The Update. Uh, Checks in the mail, Marcus. Checks in the mail. So there you have it. The legacy of Monte Ellis. But if Monte has his way, there may still be a few more pages of that legacy to write. Ellis hasn't played since the Pacers waved him back in 2017. But in between coaching his sons in AAU and running his daughter between soccer and volleyball practices these days, the 34-year-old tells Marcus the time off has healed his body, that he trains daily at the Michael Johnson Performance Center down in Dallas, and that he thought he played very well in a private workout with several NBA teams this past July. For access to Marcus's great feature on Monte and all of his great Warriors coverage, just click the link in the description notes of today's podcast. Coming up in the next few weeks here on The Update. What a regular season finale it was for 49ers rookie wideout Debo Samuel in Seattle. A team high five catches for 102 yards to go along with that 30-yard rushing touchdown in the first quarter. But his flash on the field? Well, rather dull, actually, in comparison to his outrageous outfits off of it. We'll get into Debo's sensational style with our senior editor, Dan Brown. We'll talk college football's national championship and the Pac-12's best chances of making it back to that all-important college football playoff with the editor-in-chief of our college football site, Stuart Mandel. And on our next show, A's fans, the wait is over. The departures, the signings, the Board of Supervisors vote to sell its share of the Coliseum site to the A's. We'll get into all of that and more as we talk hot stove Oakland style with longtime A's scribe Susan Slusser. That's your update for today. Thanks to NBC Sports Bay Area for the highlight sound. If you liked what you heard, hit the old subscribe button for us. And if you didn't, well, hey, we're just getting started, right? So we hope that you'll stick around. I'm Kate Scott. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you again on Monday.